Hey, it's Jay. And you ever notice how like massive life events seem to be grouped together in bunches? I, I don't know if you've experienced life that way. That, that tends to be what happens to me. And recently, we decided why not survive a global pandemic, then buy a house in one of the most heated, competitive and overinflated housing markets ever seen in America, perhaps the world, and also have our second baby. So if you're hearing this, our son has recently entered the world and I am focused on being uh, a dad, which does not diminish. In fact, it only enhances the amount of hamming it up that I do compared to when I'm on the microphone, which if you're a listener to this show for a while now, you know, there's no shortage of that. So you can only imagine what happens when I'm not being recorded and I'm just with my my son or my two babies. So I am on parental leave right now, but you are in very capable hands with our esteemed producers, Andrea Moraskin and Cherie Turner, who have planned something very special. Um, we only talked about it lightly and they've mostly taken the reins, but I fully trust that you're going to get something good right now. And if you'll excuse me, I have to go act incredibly goofy and then pass out hard and just sort of drool on myself. So, wish me luck. I miss you. Bye. I want to know how to do the things to do. A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you. Hello and welcome to Three Clips, a Castos original podcast. I'm Andrea Moraskin, one of the producers filling in for Jay Conzo. Now, on a typical episode of Three Clips, we invite a podcaster whose show we admire, we play three clips from that show, and we break down what makes it great, one little piece at a time. We make this show for fellow podcasters, and Jay does a terrific job of drawing out nuggets of wisdom from each guest insights that you can use when making your own show. So today, we decided to play for you and discuss some of these standout moments in an episode we're calling Six Nuggets. Joining me is my fellow producer, Cherie Turner. Hey, Cherie. Hey, Andrea. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I feel like there are just these golden nuggets in a lot of the episodes, and that's what we've brought to the table today. Three nuggets from you and three nuggets from me that we just wanted to highlight. I didn't actually clip any of the clips themselves. I just clipped Jay and the guest talking about the clips or talking about other concepts around the clips. What do you mean you didn't pull clips? I didn't pull clips from other people's podcasts within three clips. I just pulled clips from three clips with Jay and the guest. Got it. Okay. Are you ready for rock, paper, scissors? I am ready for rock, paper, scissors. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors. Shoot. Oh. What do you have? (laughs) Scissors. Okay, you go first. I guess so. So the first clip I'm going to play is from the episode we did with Salim Rashamwala with the podcast Far Flung, which is part of the TED Network. And I pulled a clip from the very end of the episode where Salim is talking about looking ahead and what he would like to see the show do going forward. And I think that's really all the setup that you need. So I will play the clip for us now. 
these spaces where we're being really playful. I think as long as we get into that playful space, and that can happen even on like a, I'm using playful in a very broad sense. That can happen even on something that touches a, a really challenging topic. Hold on. <laughs> now we learn that Cherie listens to her podcast at uh, is it 1.5 speed. There it is. <laughs> I went on a date and this guy was like, what speed do you listen to your podcast on? And I was like, just regular speed. And he was like, really? How do you you listen to enough? (laughs) All right, Andrea, I'm going to set this up one more time. So this is Salim Rashamwala from Far Flung. And it is a podcast about travel and the ideas that come out of the places where they're profiling, let's say. Then to hit just as much as possible these spaces where we're being really playful. I think as long as we get into that playful space, and that can happen even on like a, I'm using playful in a very broad sense. That can happen even on something that touches a a really challenging topic. But the more we can get into that playful headspace, the better our show will be. I in, in video editing, I had a friend recommend something to me. I was really stuck on an edit and I couldn't figure out where to go. And he said, try to surprise yourself in every new scene of this thing. And it was such a, it was a project that could have been incredibly boring, but then it just got really, really weird. Like it just got really, really weird. And the client loved it. They loved the video. And so now I try to think about that. Like how can we as a team keep surprising ourselves? I know it's a really delicate balance with the audience, thinking about the audience because you do have to keep running it up against like, where's the audience? Where's their head? But for me, I don't, you know, have to do podcasts. There's other things that all of us could be doing. It's not like a, it's not necessarily a field you should get into if you're just trying to make money. So if it's not fun and engaging and surprising for you, it's hurting you in two ways. Like it's not fun and surprising and engaging, which is a bummer. And also it's going to be hard to get into new, interesting, creative spaces. All right, there you go. What stood out to you about that clip, Sherry? Well, I just love the idea of pushing the medium forward of podcasting. It's still pretty new. And I just love the idea of doing things that surprise you. And I thought it was nice that Salim pointed out that he's excited to do things that surprise and interest him, but also keeping the audience in mind because you, you just can't like go completely off the rails and expect to keep your audience intact. Um but I just I I love his approach, the whole idea of being playful and of keeping yourself engaged and also kind of that's sort of an intuitive way of pushing something forward and just really like listening to your own intuitive senses and really just always remembering to come back to enjoying yourself. And if you listen to Far Flung, it has such great storytelling and it has such great sound design. It is a a joyful podcast about exploring these different places around the world. And they just, Mm -hmm. they get very creative and they do get really playful. You can really feel that in the episodes. And I just, I really value that in that show. And I try to bring that into my own practice. What about you, Andrea? What did, what did you think of that? What stood out to me was like what he said about surprising yourself. Cause I think that's, that's hard to do, especially when, you're the host and producer of a podcast. Shuri, we've both hosted and produced podcasts of our own. And it's like, 
well, I know what I know what I'm interested in. <laughs> so how am I supposed to surprise myself? Well, so I come out of a writing background and I bring a lot of that way of crafting to my podcasting. And the thing that surprises me actually with both pursuits is that I do discover things along the way that I didn't expect. And as much I'm very much a planner uh, and even within all my planning, I am surprised by like a thought that might come up or well, and especially with podcasting, like it's always just really interesting to listen to the how people's voices shift and change and how you can sort of accentuate things that people are saying by the way that they speak or the way that they d- describe something. It's really nice to play with those different things. And and I do a lot of narration, so I write to tape. And so experimenting with ways that you can really highlight what people are saying or or you just get new insights by listening to the way someone describes something and then you can work it into your narration. So I actually often surprise myself. And what I get surprised by sometimes is how much I just really love, say, whatever story I might be telling. I'm trying to think in my well, actually, I will segue into a clip, Cherie, because I surprise myself a bit by um, kind of getting into this interview. This was an interview with Ryan Hawk from the Learning Leader Show. He's a, an author, a public speaker, a leadership coach. He has a background in corporate management. He's like a corporate consultant. And you know that I don't usually listen to those type of podcasts. This was something that Jay had assigned. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll just do this because he assigned it and then move on to the next thing. But I was surprised from this insight, specifically about interviewing authors that I just never thought of. And I mean, this is a guy who's done over 400 interviews and a lot of them with authors. And the thing about this show is he interviews a lot of people who've been interviewed before. So authors and corporate people. And it it can be tricky interviewing people who've inter- been interviewed before because they get bored. And if they're a corporate person who's, you know, speaking at talking points, you can get bored, the audience can get bored. So what Ryan has done is he's thought of ways to get to something human, something emotional, right at the top that'll keep you engaged. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. But this way was new to me. And I'm just going to pull up the clip because I was meaning to start with another clip, but you gave me this beautiful segue. Another thing that I know you love to do in your research, Ryan, this is me busting out my research on you, which in this case is my friendship with you. But if you weren't, I would have tried to find this type of nugget. When you interview an author, you go to the acknowledgement section first. Correct. And then you ask them about the acknowledgement section. Right. Why? Uh I don't know how it was for you. For me, it was emotional writing that. I cried. Uh, I almost like get emotional thinking about my acknowledgement. Your book. Welcome, my book. Welcome to management. My book. Yeah. I, it Literally, I get like this rush of emotion just thinking about writing that section. And I want to get... You talked about some of your worst ones were like the corpo CP, CEOs who have their, their lines. I want to get... If I have someone like that... If you start, if you find the person or two or three that they wrote about in their acknowledgments, and you can tell it was actually heartfelt and they wrote it, which I hope all of them are, but but you can you can kind of sense those. 
I'm I go there first. It's not always it's not foolproof. Like there's nothing that is. But I go there first because if I asked him, like you think about Admiral McRaven when I had him on, like he's this tough military guy who who helped, you know, plan the raid to kill Bin Laden. But I started by talking about his his dad and his high school coach and then his wife because I wanted him out of kind of military mode and into being a real person who has emotion, who cares. I want them to get to a place of love. Isn't that smart? Yeah. Well, and it just immediately made me think, I love reading acknowledgments for that very reason, because it makes the, it sort of brings the writer and the writing of the book back to real life. Like, it's just their hard work. And that is where you're going to find somebody's emotional space, right? Yeah. And I I never thought of that before. Of course, I would ask somebody about their background. I'd research them to see if they have an interesting backstory, maybe something about their childhood or if they came from another country or if they faced some adversity. But I've I've always just like maybe glanced at the acknowledgement section and, and moved on. Um, and I think that if I was being interviewed and I was like, oh, this person looked at my acknowledgement section and is interested in what that means to me, like I would really be touched as a, as a guest, you know? Well, and I always read acknowledgements and I read them for the very reason that he asks people questions about them, because it is always where you find this very human side of the author, because they will tell you little, even if it's just a sentence about like some editor that helped them or just, I don't, yeah, the people who really helped move them through this hard thing. I've never talked to an author who didn't say it was gut-wrenching to write their book. It doesn't even matter what the subject is. So yeah, that is a great hack, really. And it's not only a hack. Another thing I, I was thinking about it is like, from listening to this episode of The Learning Leader Show, I gained that at least to Ryan in business, mentorship is super duper important. So this hack is also fits in with his general philosophy of honoring the mentors and the people who mean a lot to you and getting where you are. That's nice when there's that kind of synergy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll just stick with the theme of good interviewing skills. So this is from our episode with Jaleka Lantigua Williams, and she was on talking about her show, How to Talk to Mommy and Poppy About Anything. But probably even more importantly for this clip is that Jaleka is just a master interviewer. This is a two-part clip. It's all one piece, but I took out a little bit of the middle because I wanted to get the two bits and I didn't want it to run super long. So I'm going to start with the first part and not a whole lot of setup here, except for she's just talking about how she approaches interviews and and prepping guests. When you are interviewing a friend and you do have to have them touch on things that are sensitive and personal or or, or help them arrive to some sort of revelation. I mean, these are deeply trust and comfort driven things. I need to be in a space with somebody where I trust them, where I feel comfortable to then get uncomfortable. How are you doing that with someone that you haven't spent significant time with away from the show? And to be clear, that is 99.9% .9 of the people that I talk sure. to. Sure. <laughs> yeah, for all of us, for sure. 
And so pre-production helps in that sense. Okay. I don't talk to people before we do our interview, but I have an amazing producer, Virginia Laura, who finds a lot of the folks. I also recommend people because people reach out to me. They say they want to come on the show, et cetera. But she um, communicates with them so that then together they define specifically what we're going to be talking about. And then she will do a prep for me with five to 10 questions based on that conversation or those emails that she's had with the guests. And so I use those as parameters, mm -hmm. but what you don't hear in, in the first half of the show is that I share a lot with them about myself as I'm talking to them, as I'm interviewing them. And so the intimacy builds before we get on the air. Okay. So that is the first part that I'll share. And then there is the second part. The other thing that happens is I ask for permission throughout the interview, right? So I say things like, all right, I'm going to ask you about this, right? But you let me know. And almost always people will say, no, go ahead, ask me, it's fine. And if I hear them pause, if I hear them like take a deep breath, if I hear them start to cry, I stop and I say, we don't have to continue. We don't have to do the interview. You don't have to do the episode. I understand. So I'm just going to wait until you tell me. And I just sit in silence for as long as it takes for them to decide what they want to do. What what an incredible uh, awareness that you have there and, and skill set, the ability to kind of, you know, maneuver with these emotions. It, those moments are becoming so fraught and you seem to have a plan for that. Was that a lot of trial and error to get there? Are you pulling from other experiences talking to tough guests? Or where, where did you get that skill set? Uh, it's 20 years of interviewing people. <laughs> and I will end it there because that's where I will start is I love that bit. It's almost a throwaway line that she says at the end, but it is absolutely critical is that she has 20 years of interviewing experience and that's why she's so good. Um, so we can talk about hacks and how to like learn how to interview and all of these things all day long, but you have to go do it. Even in your example, you talk about Ryan Hawk and he's done hundreds of interviews and I'm sure he's still learning, you know, like everybody, like it, you could learn this stuff forever and ever and ever. But that's one of the great takeaways, I think, from those two clips. What did you think? So that's a lot of think about how much prep that is. Not only does she have her her producer pre-interviews the guest, but she also spends I don't know how long, 10, 15 minutes, who knows, you know, before the interview actually warming up the guests. And I think I actually haven't listened to that podcast yet, but I think that says something about the kind of questions she asks and how deep she wants to go with her her guests. It's a very personal show, and they talk about sensitive topics all the time. And she's fantastic at being able to navigate those waters in a respectful way. But it's really, that's tough. And also, she's very open to just scrapping the whole situation. And I think, especially if you're diving into sensitive waters, you just have to know that you may not be airing this conversation. And she also says at another point in time that she deletes files. If somebody has said something on mic and it gets recorded and it's something that they really don't want out in the world, she deletes everything immediately. It does not exist anymore. And, you know, those are things to think about 
with guests who might be talking about personal things is just honoring whatever their wishes are about what they feel comfortable sharing. So I thought those were some good messages. And also, you know, we talk about this all the time on the show, but it really just should always be emphasized is there's a ton of pre-production that goes into shows like that. And even like our show, you know, we do pre-interviews as well. We do research. We don't just jump on a mic. And that's a lot of what she's talking about. And one thing, one other thing I was thinking about as we were listening is this sort of resonates with your clip, Andrea, in that she's trying to make that personal connection and in a very authentic way, right? Like sharing her personal information. And the person knows that they're going to be talking about their own personal life on the mic. So it's all up front. But just getting people comfortable on the mic is challenging, right? Yeah. And I think it's worth saying that in her case, she's interviewing immigrants and the children of immigrants, right? The children of immigrants. Yeah. And and she's a child of immigrants herself. She She actually is an immigrant, but she came over as a child. That's really important that she comes in there with that built-in connection. Right. Um, and since podcasting is a niche area, that is something that a lot of podcasters use to their advantage and as well they should. It's a built-in way to bring people closer and, you know, it really depends on your topic. Another thing that stood out to me was this idea that she asks people if it's okay to ask about something. And it made me think of this concept of trauma-informed. There's trauma-informed care and healthcare. I was actually just working on another podcast where we're talking about healthcare for victims of sex trafficking and domestic abuse. And they talk about trauma-informed care and like, what questions do you not ask? Do you need to ask about somebody's a traumatic event? If you're if you're treating a black eye, do you have to know how they got it? How do you ask if you can ask? And I think this is what Julek is doing. You keep providing me with these great segues, Cherie. So I'm going to segue into a podcast called "The Secret Adventures of Black People." hosted by Nicole Hill. Great episode. Thank you. It's a narrative podcast, and the tagline is Stories of Black People Holding It Down Across Space and Time. The episodes are short. They average about 12 minutes, and she likes to kind of drop you into the middle of a story as her storytelling technique. So with that, I'm going to play the clip. Also, the feel of the show is meant to be very voyeuristic. That's a big, big goal. So I want it to feel like when I used to live in Brooklyn, I used to walk around in Dumbo and people would have their windows open and you could just see into these beautiful, beautiful homes, but you can't like lurk and stare in. So I would always have to like walk in. I'd take in as much as I could and then you have to keep going and I'd make a little picture of myself. And when I was making the show, somebody, a producer named Mark Pagan, who's fantastic, told me you should hold an image in your mind when you're making the show and always check back to see if you are being true to that image. And for me, it's that Dumbo image of you just got to walk by. Maybe I should give more context. Maybe I should tell you more about why my aunt's heart was broken or the history of Black people in Maine. But I'm not going to do that. You're just getting a glimpse. I hope you enjoyed it. Enjoy the rest of your walk. <laughs> so, I love that. 
I, I well, first, I just want to say that um, Nicole now lives in D.C., but I feel like every podcaster has to pass through Brooklyn at some point in their evolution. It's, <laughs> you got to pay your dues to Brooklyn. So I, I love that about holding an image in your mind and shout out to Mark Pagan, who's another independent producer. I think that's so powerful. And I think that it, it's an image really of how she wants the listener to feel while they're listening to the show. And not everyone thinks about it from that perspective, like not what you want your listener to learn necessarily, not what you want them to think how you want them to feel. Well, it's just such a nice... I just think of the process of producing a story and having that in mind. It just puts me in a really wonderful headspace to think about doing that. It just makes me really happy. (laughs) And I just love the fact that... Because I'm a bit of a... I'm an explainer. Right. And I like I said earlier, I'm a planner and I like to be very clear about explaining things and just the thought that like, oh, you can not over explain everything. You can leave people with some questions like if the feeling is that you want them to want more or whatever she's going for. Um, But, yeah, I think writing for a mood or creating a, a story around a mood or a feeling is it's a nice place to sit with with the crafting process. And again, as somebody who like I'm so concerned that like I want to make sure that people aren't ever confused or I'm so concerned with other things that the thought of like focusing on somebody's mood just really makes me relax when I think about using that as part of my process. I'm the same way and I think it takes to me, it takes con. I mean, Nicole, maybe she's being humble. And we asked her why so short. She said she was doing it on her own at first as a passion project, not getting paid. And she thought, how long of a podcast do I want to edit? But of course, there's lots of tape that goes into that short piece. And I think that it takes confidence just to give somebody a little taste and then walk away and sort of like trust that they're going to want to come back. Well, and also that they'll put the pieces together in the way that you want them to. Like if you're giving them a sketch and you want that to keep them, I would absolutely agree with you that that takes some confidence that your sketch is giving them enough to give the feelings that you want to be giving them. And for anyone who hasn't heard the show, like go listen to it because it's really good and she does a fantastic job. And the other thing to the 12-minute idea is that short episodes can often be even much harder than longer episodes because you've got to pack it all in and your edits have to be super tight. <laughs> it's just, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, and you have to you have to cut out a lot of stuff that you might like. Kill those puppies. Yeah, yeah, throw the baby out. <laughs> throw your favorite <laughs> babies out. <laughs> That was a great one. I I love yours are yours are uh, your clips are very nuggety, like really great takeaways. Like I can just take this with me and go use it in my production. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, and I, I have to have to thank the wonderful guests that we have on the show. Oh my gosh, yeah. 
you want great guests, do a podcast about podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Well, do you want me to play play my third clip? Please do. Okie dokie. So this clip is from our episode with Kristen Meinzer, and she talks about her show by the book, which she co-hosts with Jalenta Greenberg. And they are going into, I believe it's their eighth season right now is running. It was just, we interviewed her just before that season started. And this clip is coming, it comes in the section where we talk about connecting with the audience. And she drops this bit of information about how they first connected with the audience. And I'll talk a little bit about why I chose it after we listen to it. Well, I think with By the Book, we have one thing to our advantage, and that is that Jolenta and I are so forthcoming with our own stories. And those stories are sometimes very painful and sometimes very embarrassing. They're about mistakes we've made. They're about, you know, sexual abuse that we've had to live through. They're about um, eating disorders that we've struggled with. So we're putting so much of ourselves out on the table that for somebody to write in and share their own story hopefully it's a little easier for them because a lot of people write in and say, you know, after our third episode of the show in season one, we lived by a book called French Women Don't Get Fat. And that was a real game changer for us because, you know, our first- I'm sorry, the name again? The name again? <laughs> French Women Don't Get Fat. And it was an international bestseller. It was on the bestseller list for, I forgot, maybe five years. But um, that book was the first one where I really felt I got- incredibly scared and vulnerable with everything I was taping. And I was so scared before that episode went out into the world. But after that episode, that's when we really started getting mail like crazy. And, you know, Jolenta from day one, I will give it to her. She's always been very good about putting all of her things on the table. And after that, I became much better at it, too. And the more we were willing to share, I mean, I want to make clear, we still have our boundaries. It's not like we're going to share 100% of everything that's near and dear to us, but we share a lot of it. And when that happened, people felt safer coming to us and saying, hey, I went through that too, or I didn't have the same experience as you, or this is what happened to me when I read that book, or these are things that keep me up at night that I worry about. So I'm going to set it up a little bit better to say that By the Book is a show where Kristen and Jalenta live by a self-help book for two weeks and share their experiences and then they come back and do a follow-up episode to every main episode where it's a few weeks later and they talk about kind of what has stuck from the book. They have the epilogue episodes. So she's talking about in that clip the fact that they live by these self-help books and they share, uh, well, pretty much everything that they go through when they live by these books. They take tape in their homes with their husbands all the time. And friends sometimes make guest appearances because they just walk around. They have their recorders on their phones and they're taping all the time. And for me, there were two things that really stand out about that is the whole idea is if you're a host, connecting with your audience is a big part of your job. And it is different from like journalism where you have a reporter who is supposed to be this neutral non-participant in the story. And podcasting just isn't like that. 
it's this very personal connection that people have with the host or, you know, whomever is running the show. That's a big part of building community and building a big audience base is being able to connect with people. But then the other thing that she points out is that there are boundaries. And when you listen to their show, it's like those boundaries go a pretty long way because they get pretty personal. But I had been a fan of that show ever since it launched. And I remember just really valuing how much they shared because so much of it either resonated with me or it just made me feel like I was, oh, I love listening to that show. So, yeah. What did you think? Hmm. Well, I think that it's a kind of a natural audience connector because if they're they're living their lives and walking around all day recording everything, it must make listeners think about their own life. And, you know, I haven't listened to the show, so... I'm going to I'm going to ask you again for an example of something like something they did with one of the books that made you laugh or made you think about your own life or made you just really like the show. Well, I'll, I remember very specifically an example that she talks about, and I'm quite certain it's from that episode where she talks about the fact that she starts obsessively weighing herself in a really like obsessively weighing herself, like in the middle of the night, many, many, many times a day. And I've never been quite to that point, but I've gotten close. And I know friends who kind of lived and died, but not lived and died, but I mean, it could set off a whole mood of a day, what that scale said. And mm-hmm. I just think, you know, it's it's being willing to tell people that you were doing this obsessive thing that you know you know that it doesn't sound healthy and you're still willing to put it out there in the world because a lot of people do it and it's sad and unfortunate, but it's just like, okay, well, let's just air this and let's bring it to light. But it is a very tricky dance. Like how much do you want to share? But I do remember that very specifically because she, she talks about that quite a bit and she was quite uncomfortable sharing that information But those sorts of things really resonated with people. And there's a reason why a diet book is on the bestseller list for five years. I love that example. And it also relates to your other clip with Juleka, that an advantage of podcasting is not just intimacy, which both those examples have and Jay talks about a lot, but vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Intimacy kind of bleeds into vulnerability. And it's like someone's just talking in your ear. I mean, definitely as the medium has evolved, you have more and more hosts who are willing to get vulnerable. And it is a risk, but it's just like, as a listener, I feel like I just eat it up. Like, I think (laughs) I told you, um, Sharon Mashihi's podcast appearances, it's a fiction, but it's also very autobiographical. And she talks about sitting on the toilet, like waiting for her pregnancy test to come out and counting the drops of pee. And I'm like, wow, I feel so let in to her life. I feel so like honored that I have like this front row seat inside somebody else's mind and heart. You know, it'll just stay with me. That podcast as a whole, just stay with me forever. Yeah, it's a great one. 
Okay, ready for our last clip? I am. So, this clip is from the episode with Jay Bear, host of Standing Ovation. And Standing Ovation is another niche podcast. It is kind of the three clips for public speaking, for people in the public speaking industry, which Jay is a part of. Well, RJ Akunzo is a part of, and so is Jay Bear, who is the interviewee on this episode. So on his podcast, Standing Ovation, Jay Bear brings on public speakers and takes clips from some of their best speeches and then talks to them about that. And like three clips and like um, the Learning Leader Show, it has an educational premise. It's about public speakers for public speakers so that they can get better at their craft. And the setup to this clip is that J.A., R.J., acknowledges that J.B. has a wealth of knowledge and experience in this subject matter of public speaking and asks, well, it's easier if I just play the clip. When, when that's your reality, you can be so far ahead of where the listener is at or where the attendee at an event is at that it's tempting for you to go, okay, problem is A and solution is Z. Well, what they really need is every letter in between to be hit on with you. Um, how do you, and this is a little bit of a nebulous question, but it's elusive to me in my career. How do you check that impulse that you have to get too far ahead of people listening or watching and make sure that you do ease them into whatever the big idea is? I think partially in this format, because I've, I've recorded now well over a thousand podcast episodes in my career. People are on the treadmill or they're driving, right? Or they're doing Pilates or whatever. Nobody is listening. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. It is rare that somebody is listening to a podcast with a notebook on their lap. It happens for sure, but it's rare. I believe that you have to really work to make sure that the lesson and each of the components of the lesson are fully articulated and that that is more important in a podcast than in probably any other form of teaching or education in the world. And it's not a shortcoming of podcasts. It's just the fact that podcasts are the only truly multitaskable medium. Try running a snowblower while watching YouTube videos at your own peril, <laughs> right? Um, try, try reading uh, an ebook while driving a car. So many people are listening to podcasts while they do something else that in this format, I think it is imperative as the host or even as a guest to, to break it down into bite-sized memorable chunks and even repeat the lesson when necessary. You just, it's not even about the curse of knowledge. I think it's just about understanding that in most cases, the podcast listener is not giving you their full attention. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, Cherie. I spend half my life multitasking and listening to podcasts, you know, cooking, cleaning, driving, even when I'm editing a podcast, I, I can't just sit there and listen. I have an adult coloring book out and I'm coloring away. And I still never thought about podcasting this way that that it's okay to repeat yourself, that you really have to make that point because sometimes it's literally <laughs> in one ear and out the other. 
I, I will say I think about that all the time. And I'm going to go back. And this, uh, of course, definitely resonates with me. And actually on Salim's episode, he talked about the exact same thing because he comes from a documentary film and video background. And he said, you know, if you were signposting like this all the way through a, a documentary, it would be super cheesy and awful. But in a podcast, you have to remind people like this is where we're at. Let me catch you up so far. Let me repeat what year that happened. So, yeah, I think teaching people to be repetitive as podcast makers is really important because as you're making, it really feels counterintuitive to keep saying the same thing over in a different way. But you got to remember, because how many times have you been listening to a show and it's just like, oh, I don't really remember, like, what year was that? Or when did that thing happen? Or like, I always appreciate the host mm -hmm. reminding me kind of where we're at at some point. And I get very frustrated with shows that don't do that, especially if they're very fact, like a some sort of a crime or, you know, facty type show. If they do not repeat their facts, it is frustrating. Yeah, that's a great point that you make, Cherie, about the signposting in storytelling. Like I said, this is an educational show. So he's talking about lessons and he sees himself as a host, as a teacher, as as Jay Akunzo does to help teach others about the craft of, in his case, public speaking through these interviews. But even when you're more of a documentarian, repeating those signposting, repeating those facts, I think is is super important because, like, as you said, there's no there's no visual. There's no like little logo on the side of the screen to remind you, like, what channel you're watching. And I think I mean, I just think there's so many ways to do this. I mean, Nicole Hill doesn't do that in Secret Adventures of Black People, but she's she's telling these stories and, um, you know, it's more about the feeling. If the facts are very important, then you need to make sure those facts are understood. Yeah, and it's interesting because I did, as I was as I was making my comment, I was thinking exactly about a show like like Nicole's show and how if the idea is to bring a mood or have a story do something other than, say, be a teachable moment or be something that you absolutely have to follow along and know all the facts, if it's something that is a little more kind of feeling-based or emotion-based, of course, you don't need to do those things. I would imagine, because I don't make a show like that, so I don't know how one crafts a show in that way, but I would imagine it has more to do with like the sounds you're using, the music, the sound effects, and also the story. But if what you're doing is creating a whole mood, I, I think it's just a different process. But if you are trying to get people to very specifically follow along or learn a very specific thing, like you really have to be repetitive and make sure that your listener understands kind of where they're at at all times. But you can't go overboard. Like <laughs> it's a tricky it's a tricky dance. I think you've said it's a tricky dance like two or three a thousand times. times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That could be my Re verbal tip. Repetition. There you <laughs> yes, go. Exactly. <laughs> I'd like you to know that actually what we're doing is dancing when we make podcasts. <laughs> This has been a lot of fun. And I can't wait to um, tag all of these people on social media. <laughs> Sounds great. I will say I had trouble deciding which, which episodes to pull from because I got to say, 
I have really enjoyed all of the episodes I've got to produce. Yeah, me too. Yeah. We could definitely do this again. Definitely. If the people like it, people let us know what you think about this Jayless episode. Awesome. Well, thank you, Andrea. Thanks, Sheree. Great to co-host with you. And from my closet to yours, signing off. Yes. Today's episode was produced by me, Andrea Maraskin, with original music by Cardboard Rocket Ship. You can find links to all the podcasts we featured in the show notes. Shuri and I would love your feedback on this episode. You can write me at andrea at threeclipspodcast.com. And we're both on Twitter. Links also in the show notes. You can learn more about Jay Akunzo, the actual host of this show, at jayakunzo.com. He offers online courses on podcasting and lots of other cool stuff. Three Clips is a Castos original production. Castos provides tools for podcasters to grow your audience and connect with your community. Learn more at castos.com. Jay's dulcet tones will be back in your feed next week. Thank you so much for listening.